0: Hello and welcome to Becoming Educated, the podcast that aims to explore the secrets to great teaching in our classrooms. I'm Darren Leslie and each week I discuss things that will hopefully make an impact in your school with guests from classroom teachers to head teachers and everyone in between and beyond in the education sector. This week, I'm joined by Josie Minge. Josie is School Improvement Leader for Greenshaw Learning Trust, and she has experience of driving standards across primary and secondary phases, with a particular focus on literacy and language. She has designed phonics programmes with national success, and has spoken at various educational conferences including PIXEL, Research Ed, and the Reading Reform Foundation. Josie regularly delivers bespoke CPD on key themes around the development of language, the impact of literacy on the wider curriculum, the crucial importance of reading, and metacognition and motivation. And today we discuss that crucial importance of reading as Josie describes the tutor reading program that happens every morning in the Greenshot Learning Trust schools. I asked Josie how The Trust has prioritised the tutor reading programme because the students read with their tutor for 20 to 25 minutes every morning. We unpick what this looks like in the classroom and Josie shares what the teacher's doing, what the student's doing and what's on the board. We also discuss why the teachers would annotate the book and exchange certain words to help the students really follow along with the story. We also discuss how they select the text and what considerations they take into account for each year group. And also we discuss logistics. What happens when a group finishes a book ahead of another group? How do they swap books? And so on. And finally, we close with asking Josie how the Trust has moved the tutor reading program online. And I'd urge you to watch the videos because it really is fantastic. And if you want to know more about the tutor reading programme, why not check out Josie's talk on the Greenshaw Learning Trust National Inset CPD Day, which was held on the 18th December to give you more. I'd highly recommend it. Let's now hear from Josie as as we discuss the tutor reading programme. Josie, thank you so much for coming on the Becoming Educated podcast. How are you today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: No, it's it's my pleasure. I assure you. Um, just to kick us off, like I do with every guest, could you share a little bit about you and your career in education to date, please?
1: Yeah, so um, I started teaching in primary school actually at the beginning of my career, um, and I was there for three years, and then I moved to a local secondary just after slightly claustrophobic I love primary and I love working with all of our primaries which I do and but for me personally I just felt that being in one classroom all day every day with the same students and doing the same thing was just a little bit Um, claustrophobic for me personally with my kind of character so um, I I took an opportunity and took a sideways step into a local secondary which was um, Greenshaw High School and and I worked there supporting a lot of our weaker readers particularly at the start around around teenage support for weaker readers being able to transfer knowledge from primary Um, and then I went on to teach English there became literacy lead and uh, did a lot of work very closely with Phil Stock who um, you you might have heard of Mm -hmm. um, around research and and did a lot of diving into the world of research around EES and just exploring some of those key themes there um, and worked with a number of brilliant different teachers on valuable CPD projects. They're leading on a few of those modules um, particularly for NQTs and skit trainee teachers and, and a number of our teachers across the school and their own disciplined inquiries around metacognition, motivation, language, vocabulary, lots of different areas there. Um, and then after six or so years there, I then moved back with Greenshaw Learning Trust and I've been there since and um, ha- have been with them since their, their inception, I suppose. And I'm now school lead there, which I love. And, um, a- and that's something that I get to do. I get to work with head teachers and senior leaders to shape the organisation and, um, yeah, really love it
0: right such a such a wonderful job to have and, and such a, a very clear move from primary to secondary and, and you mentioned earlier supporting weaker readers and it kind of brings us kind of smoothly into what, what i would like to talk about today and it's the shooter reading program that you shared um at the greenshaw learning trust national Inset day back in mm. december so i would like to dive deep into that josie and if you don't mind can you share it with us What exactly is the the tutor reading programme and how did it come about?
1: Yeah, so I, I might start backwards on this one. So thinking about how it came about... It came about because as we increased our size of our organization as Greenshore Learning Trust, we took on new schools. It was just really evident that there was often a huge lack of a reading culture in these schools. And I think that's that's fair to say of a number of schools across the country. Um, and, and that wasn't just with students. That was also staff. Staff didn't really read. Students didn't read. didn't see themselves as readers. And we wanted a program in place that would quickly shift that culture. Um, And so one of the things that we did was we brought in this tutor reading program and simply it is a program that runs for 20 to 30 minutes, depending on which school you're in of ours, 20 to 30 minutes every single day. Um, in our secondary school. So every person in that classroom has a copy of the same book and they are read too. So it's it's that the tutor reads to the students and the students follow along with a ruler tracking the text as they go. Um, and, and it really is something that I think is people must, with, with the title of it, and the, the slight hype around it, I think often perceive it to be something magical. And and for me, the beauty and the magic of it is that it's so simple and that it works. And students really, are, you know, the magic that you feel of them really engaged in a text every single morning is just so powerful. Um, so that's, that's something that we really wanted to do with these new schools, but also our existing schools who are in a huge range of geographically diverse, but also demographically diverse areas with different you know, ethnicities, financial situations, um, you know, cultural capital and access to decent education. We just thought, right, what can we do to these, you know, students a better chance of success? So we thought, right, let's throw in a really good reading program here that will give them a chance to explore vocabulary and settings and themes and, and yeah, it's really powerful.
0: Certainly, and it looks incredibly powerful in the the videos you shared, and you spoke about this the magic of the simplicity, and and I'd like Mm. to tell a little bit about that. And you mentioned that it occurs at 20, 30 minutes at the start of your school day, so how have you scheduled or restructured the the school day and able to prioritise the tutor reading programme?
1: Yeah, so a few things to make it work. One of the things is that um, the traditional registration time at the start of the day, which is broadly 15 you know or 20 minutes or half an hour in any every school we've we've stripped that out so we don't have, A traditional registration time or a tutor time with the tutor because we just felt that our experience of that time in the school was probably the least impactful time of the day if you imagine going into a lesson they hopefully are learning something you know solid if they're in assembly it's giving them a chance to think about something deeper if they're in the playground they're socializing but that kind of first 15 20 minutes of the day really felt like a little bit of a flop to us and like it was just a typical chance to hand out letters, to give out messages, to check your pens and things like that. So, so we thought, right, what can we do? So we stripped that. And in fact, instead of that, that's when we read. That's, that's the first 15, 20 minutes of the day. What we've also done to make that possible is instead of doing registration in the tutor time reading program, and instead of checking equipment at that time, we do this thing called roll call. And roll call happens in um, our larger venues in the school, so it might be in a gym, or in the sports hall, or in the um, the assembly hall. And actually, in COVID times, we've had them out on the playground because of the the spacing. But the tutor would just simply for 10 minutes in the morning in roll call, they would walk up the line, they'd do the register and they would check equipment. So students know when they stand in roll call, they take out their equipment and they have their reading book with them. That that would be their own personal reading book for the I'll explain a bit later on in the day. Um, but they, they have everything out that they need that the tutor checks. And, and that is roll call. And within that time, when you're largely inside, we play classical music or we have um, radio for thought for the day or we have something that just gives them a real cultural um, shift straight into the school when they get there in the morning so that's roll call and that's where the, the um, head of year might be giving out key messages and things like that so we're just removing the need to do that in tutor time and then the third thing done is um, we might have had hour-long lessons during the day we've stripped off five minutes of that so they're now 55 minutes and the additional five minutes that we've pieced together um, partly help to supplement the first 20-25 minutes in the day but it also helps to give us 15-20 minutes at the end of the day after our fifth lesson um, before the end of going home to have drop everything and read time So students will not only, they'll bookend the day. So they'll have tutor time reading in the morning where they all read the same book. And then for 15, 20 minutes at the end of the day, they'll have drop everything and read time where they bring their own choice of text and they can read in silence for 15, 20
0: minutes. Okay, so can I ask about their own choice of text? Where do they Mm. get that text from? Do they get it from the school or do they take it from home or a local library?
1: Yeah, any of those any of those and that's one area that we want to improve on and something that we haven't um that would be the next phase of our of, of our priorities there to to make sure that the books that they are reading are ones that are well pitched are ones that are but but we also sense the need for a bit of freedom of choice of text so they do so they they might have it at home they might borrow it they might have it from the library at school the local library or um or it might be one that we lend them. So, yeah. So, so there's a few different ways that they access that. And we're conscious that some choose to read texts that are far too easy for them. But also some that bring a book because they want it to look impressive, but actually they can't read it at all because they're, they're too weak. So, so there is something there that we need to do to make that better. Nevertheless, they also have the option there to, to select their, you know, they have the process of choosing a book. Um, and, and that's important to us, I think.
0: Yes, certainly. And, and it shows the, that restructuring of the day and how well you've thought about that and how clearly you, you articulated that there, that the, the reading was a, a clear priority and it, its rationale was, was so clear in what you said there. So thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned yeah. earlier kind of what the students do in, in the teacher reading. Could we dive into what that 25, 30 minute looks like every morning? What does the classroom look like? What is the teacher doing and what are the students doing?
1: Mm. So we, we've worked really hard on this to standardise it so that any single room that you walk into, in any one of our schools, it will look identical. So that every child in the deal in the room next to them. The reason being that we are very conscious that teachers aren't necessarily experts at reading. They are, they are tutors who stepped into teaching because they love their subject, hopefully, because of what they do, not necessarily because they love to read out loud fiction texts or, or nonfiction sometimes. But we're conscious that that person standing at the front, we really want them to do this job really well and, and impassion the students to read. But they might not particularly love reading or be very good at it, actually. Um, so what we've done is we've standardized the process so that any, any student gets the same deal. So if you walk into any single classroom, you should see. On the interactive whiteboard, there should be a slide which tells you what text you're reading. And this is part of SLT are very present. That's one of our crucial things, SLT, that the senior leadership team have to be in this program. They have to live and breathe it. So we don't book any meetings during this time. We don't have any interventions running we have the leadership team in and out of those classrooms, reading as they go, picking up, passing it back, picking up, passing it back. Um, So I'll come back to that. So the slide um, will have the text on it. It will have an image of the front of the cover, the author and the year of publication, but it will also have on there a few things around the setting. So it might say um, Victorian England, and then it will have the year, It might say the um, key characters on there, the key themes, and the genre. So if, for example, it's a nonfiction, it will say nonfiction. If it's a um, coming of age story, it'll say buildings, Roman. And so at the the start of that PowerPoint for every staff member, I've just done a very simple glossary of all of those types of genres so that if you're not an expert in reading, you can quickly go and say, right, what kind of genre is this text going to be that I'm about to read to these students? And it also has on there the page number that the teacher just inputs on a daily basis where they're starting from. So you walk into the room, the tutors who are um, most prepared will have the books out on the daily for the students. They sit down after roll call, bags on the back of the chair, coats on the back of the chair. They open the book because they can see what page they're about to read on the screen and they simply follow along with a ruler. And at this point, the tutor will open the book and they will read and the students follow along with a ruler or a bookmark. We've, we've managed to do branded bookmarks in each school. They're really inexpensive. You can you can get a thousand for, you know, a hundred quid or something like that. Um, but, but they're branded and they look nice and, and it's standardized. So students read, but they follow along. They don't read They Just listen. They take it in and their tutor reads to them. Um, I think that's probably me covering the majority of them. I suppose the things to say are we also ask tutors to circulate the room in non COVID times, we ask tutors to circulate the room and the reason being so that the students at the back of the room don't feel like they're not involved in it. And it also doesn't feel like being done to the students, it's not me, reading; do, it's us reading together. So if, if your tutor is moving around, it feels like this is a joint experience. Um, and I think that's it. And I suppose the other bit to just mention on the rulers and the bookmarks is the reason why we do that is because one, for focus. So the student's not going to be looking out the window. We know that they're looking at the book. The second one is if you've got a weaker reader, which we have significant numbers of, we're we're no different to any other school, we have significant weaker readers in our schools and we try to make sure that in our seating plans we have the weaker readers sitting next to somebody who might be stronger. And therefore, if they get lost in their book, they can just quickly glance over and say, oh, I'm on page 164 and I'm halfway down. Then they can see that and they carry on. So we often have um, questions from new schools saying, why do the why do the higher readers have to use a ruler and that's that's that exact reason everybody is the same we all come to this the same um yeah
0: it's brilliant, and I love that idea of of the teacher circulating the room and reading because mm. we are reading together rather than I reading to you I really like that thank you so so mm. much can you then tell me why is it only the teacher that reads why do the students not get involved in that reading
1: Yeah, so we've thought about this again, and we often get asked with our newer schools, why can't the students read, you know, particularly if you've got a weaker reader who's a tutor. So if you've got a really reluctant reader who's a tutor, who's brilliant at their own subject, be it PE, geography, history, art, whatever, they might really have an anxiety about reading and we do have stuff like that and everybody will have a couple of staff in their staff body who feel like that and um, the reason why we say no to students is one because if you start to pass the reading around the room you lose the plot <laughs> and that's metaphorical and literal I think you, you know people lose the plot and we really do you, you don't get a sense of what's going on if you start to jump the the, the narrator the second point is we haven't shied away in this program from edgy topics or from you know themes that might cause slight anxiety or um, you know really difficult. We often have melancholic, I um, uh, guess, plots which mean that there's there's some sadness in some of our plots and there's some difficult themes that that we want to cover. And I think we do that adult schools not students and therefore we, we think that adults have a better understanding of some of the layers of these texts and therefore you don't necessarily get the same narration or articulation from students who might be reading these without the understanding of, of what might be going on at a deeper level. Um, so, so one of the ways that we cover that is if we do have a weaker reader who's a tutor we might have, um, you know, if you've got a teach first who's teaching English or an English teaching English and they don't have their own tutor group yet, we'll pair them up with a weaker tutor. So we'll have them going and they might read instead, but we certainly wouldn't have the, the students reading.
0: Yeah. So I like the, just one more before we move on to the next one. I like what you said about how important it was by having the senior leaders circulating in mm. the school. And you, you mentioned briefly about them coming in and picking up. So how does that look in action? Mm.
1: So that, yeah, good point. So that looks, the is reading, the students are following with the ruler or the bookmark. The, the SLT members will manage to get it, and you can do it, if you're in 20 minutes, you can get in and out of five or six classrooms in that time. And you simply go in, so if you're the head or the assistant head, you jump in, the tutor spots you, and we train them to do this in our, in our initial training session when we meet with them. Um, with the whole stuff is we say look SLT really want to be present in this program we want the students to see how important this is this is everybody involved and we also encourage our admin or our support staff to jump in as well if they want we've got some real we actually had a a finance manager who loved to read so she was in and out of these a lot as well Um, but simply they know that when you step into the lesson non-COVID you will um, go and you will actually, when the um, tutor gets to the end of the sentence or the end of the paragraph, they'll just hand it to you and they'll point and then you carry on reading from where they left off while the students follow and you might read a page or two and then you pass it back to them and then you leave. And, and it's as simple as that. And, and uh, I suppose in COVID times, the way that we've done it is we've just also had the box at the side of the room where the SLT member can pick up the book look where the where the student is with their bookmark and and kind of almost silent signal non-verbal to the tutor and carry on
0: wonderful description and I, and I would love to see to see that in action it sounds so seamless and and great it must be great yeah. for students to be read to by their teacher and then when the senior leaders come in and just emphasizes the importance of it um in the national Inset day talk you spoke about um teachers annotating books for certain words and you've spoken a little bit about weaker readers and and so on. Can you share like what words do the teachers annotate and why do they do that to help support the reading?
1: Yeah so we know that um, and there's various different models of vocabulary but one that we choose to use because it's quite a simplistic model and, and helps us understand them is that you can have tiered vocabulary so they're, they're, and I'm not going to assume that anybody knows any of this so I'll just briefly so excuse me if I'm speaking to you and you know what this is but briefly there are three tiers of language and the first one is tier one which is words that we would assume students know by the time they get to secondary which might be table and love and dog the, the very basic kind of foundational words The tier two words are words that you experience in written text, but we don't always use in our our words that we use with each other. So it might be um, frequent or it might be, um, I'm trying to think, uh, (laughs) relevant. Those kind of words are your tier two words that, that you might struggle with if you just don't know what they mean. And then tier three are your subject specific words that you would use to deliver in a subject lesson. So those tier two words are the obstacles that we often find students really struggle with when they're reading a, a fiction or a non-fiction text. So we train up our staff to identify only four or five words on a single page and they simply with a pencil each of our um, class texts have one book that's got a sticker on it that says tutor copy and in the tutor copy we circle it with with a pencil four or five of those words on a page so we might circle the word relevant or circle the word signify and we would put a word that means the same thing uh next to it in pencil um so I'm just trying to think um I did actually think about uh uh giving you an an example of this, but I've lost it. Oh yeah, so for example, if, if the sentence was, his frailty was evident, and they didn't know what the word frailty or evident meant, you might say, you'd read the sentence, say his frailty was evident, which means his weakness was obvious. And you'd just embed it in the sentence. You wouldn't stop to teach it. You wouldn't give loads of detail. You would just embed the additional word that you've thought of into that sentence, which really helps them you know, know what's going on. It, essentially, we don't want to do every single Tier Two word on that page because they'd just get really bored. That's that's the simple answer. They, they'd just lose the the interest in the whole plot. So what we say is four or five words maximum on that page. If you think they're going to struggle with it, it's probably a Tier Two word. Circle it. Write a synonym, which means a word that means the same thing next to it. And when you're delivering that, you just within that sentence, you use those other words as well so you'd read the one that you've got but you'd also then give the other word um, and, and that's pretty much it so that's what we ask them to do just so that students don't lose the meaning of that text and and in order to do that one of the things that we've set up in that dear time at the end of the day when students are reading their own book that's when we ask tutors to just be a few pages ahead mark up their text so they've actually got a bit of time in the day to do that it shouldn't be an additional request for them.
0: And I love how that fit into the other part of the day and it kind of doesn't increase in their workload and it manages. Mm -hmm. Imagine then that after a tutor has read a book and it's moving on to the next class, the next tutor would have an annotate. They wouldn't need to do any extra or they just need to check the words and they knew that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So if you are starting this as a new project, then everyone in the school would have to do that first tutor copy. And if in... it broadly in year 10 and 11 you only get through five or six in a year because they're bigger and they're more dense but if you're in year seven there might be 10 texts that you get through in a year so it might be that the year seven tutors have to do two books each but most people only have to do one text, and then you pass it on, and it's already done for you. So, um, yeah, so that's how it works.
0: That's brilliant, and, and it's. Um, imagine that during the, the reading, that it would just sound seamless because they would go on and they would continue their their reading. So the student wouldn't interrupt the students' thinking or thought process. They would just, and I imagine the students will know that as they're going along. To
1: yeah, talk. and and it just comes with time as well. They just understand what you're doing three or four times then they know that this is important and that's going to help me learn what this means.
0: Bro, right. well let's move on to think about some of the, the logistics and the organizing of, of the program. Can I ask you how do you select the texts, and, and what considerations do you take into account for selecting each text?
1: So this has come at a really pertinent time for us because it's it, it's a time in our journey for this program where we're actually reviewing our canon so we have something called our Greenshaw Learning Trust canon and essentially what that means is it's a selection of books that we have chosen for all of our schools to use so we ask our tutor reading program leads and I can explain how we've identified them and who they are but we ask each of our tutor reading program leads in each school to make sure that when text for their school they select them from our canon which is broadly our menu of choice text um and the reason that we did that is because if our intention for this program is to upskill students in high quality vocabulary expose them to broad characters themes plots um you know uh, genres lots of different things that they wouldn't necessarily choose to read themselves then we want to make sure that the texts we're offering them are really high quality and if you look into anything from Doug Lamov around reading reconsidered, any kind of meta-analysis of studies, they just simply say, read harder texts. So we wanted to make sure that our year sevens, eights, nines, 10s, 11s, up to 13s have a canon which is really challenging for them. Um, And so that's simply what we did. And so in terms of the organic nature that this happened was that when we took on our first new school, we worked with the head of English to identify the canon for that school. And then when we took on the next school, we decided well we don't want to just duplicate those because actually we could then share the text but double the amount of text so so it just happened that way and now we do have a canon of potentially 50 or 60 texts per year group Um, but it's something that we're currently looking at because we are very conscious and in fact last week we just ran our first tutor reading panel um, which had a great range of roles ages, ethnicities, opinions from different people. We've had governors attend, we had trustees, we had heads of department, we had senior leaders, lots of different people. And the, the general voice was, we love our canon, but we also need to consider um, broadening it to a, be more representative of the demographics we've got. We don't think we've got enough BAME authors in there, for example. We also think we don't necessarily have enough female authors in there. Um, and, and there's other mapping processes that we can do where we might feel like, actually, this year seven canon is a little bit miserable. Come away, and, and although it's beautiful writing, that there's kind of five or six really heavy-going topics in this, in this year, so a piece of work making better. Um, but that is really what we considered. We, so, so when we looked at the canon, we wanted to make sure we had a range of different eras of publication of different characters, different themes, different genres and different plots. And in some cases our schools consider how relevant to the curriculum they are. So if they're teaching Frankenstein, they might want to include in the tutor reading program some more Gothic literature so that students can uh, compare the two. Or it might be that if they're teaching about Greek and English, they want to include um, the Odyssey or something like that. So yeah, so it varies between schools, but ask them from us because these are high-quality texts. It
0: right, certainly is. So then the the schools then can you have a set of texts, say ten texts for year seven, one year? Then you could just then change that set of, that text or swap one or two out. Then I'd assume.
1: Yeah, you can. And and where we've got hubs or clusters of different schools in Gloucester or in Plymouth or in um, Bracknell, Sutton, um, what we do is we ask those local schools to kind of form a little group who can then rotate the books and say, right, well, actually, we've had this for a couple of years now. Can we swap it for that one? Um, so yeah so there, there's a mapping process there to check that you've got the same broad range of ethnicities and genders and and you know all of that stuff that I've just talked about but it, it you know financially it's a massive saving because you've actually got double the books or triple the books that you, you could want so yeah
0: it certainly is it's going to come to my, to my next question quite seamlessly mm-hmm. um, I'm really interested in what happens when a tutor group finishes a book so I'd imagine you'd have 20 30 kids and would need 20 30 copies of the text, and, and I also imagine, and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that tutor groups would finish books at various times and stages depending mm. on how quickly they get through it. So, what happens when they finish a book? How do they move the book on, and, and, and how is that process managed in a school? Just
1: have the lens that we made very early on we we cut if we had five tutor groups in year seven eight nine ten eleven we bought five texts for each of those year groups but we realized that oh yeah of course they're not going to finish at the same time as them and on on exactly the same day this is not going to work so we, we ended up having to quickly do a bit of a piecemeal job and finding something in the cupboard for it to supplement until we could buy some more books so what we now realize is that for every school we say for each tutors and um, uh, for each year group if you've got five tutor groups then you probably need to kick off with seven or eight so that you've got backup when when the first one finishes there's another text for them to read so that was the first learning point for us um, the, same, the second thing to say is our tutor reading leads in each school coordinate the changes. So as soon as I'm a tutor and I finish my first set of books, I take that set to the tutor reading lead and they will receive them from me and their next set of texts. And they will just be simply tracking that on a very simple Excel spreadsheet tracker so that they know who's got what text and where. And then it might be that someone comes up and they say, right, I've only got a few pages left. I'm gonna need another book so that they can coordinate that. And um, we did encounter because one of the things that we is we don't ever want this to be just a diluted SHE lesson. We don't want it so that they read the text and then they, you know, then the tutor spends ages talking about the book and how did you feel and how did the character feel? It shouldn't become that. We just want this this program to be high quality text dive in, do read it. and we do have book clubs and discussion points for that. And, and we have opportunities for them to talk about that with tutors out of the sessions. But we never want to um, and then spend 20 minutes talking about it. because because different tutors, like I said in terms, will be different, there'll be different experiences of that. Some will feel really comfortable with that and some definitely won't. Um, so simply what happens is at the end of a book, you finish a book in your class, then we do give them an opportunity to spend five or 10 minutes um, looking at that. And lots of them have these tutor reading logs, which are simply a small booklet that's been uh, printed and put together internally by the ReproGraphics department, where they get a sticker once they've done it, or they might just write the title in, and they might answer three questions about it to do a very, very short book review. And it might take them 10 minutes to do, and then they move on to the next book. And it's as simple as that but we do we, we have asked tutors not to spend hours on reflecting on the books I think that can come in separate places just because otherwise this this program won't be as in as it could be
0: I like how it's keeping that kind of 25 30 minutes sacred to the its reading time and it's reading time. yes so thank you for that reflection on, on how the program works in terms of logistics in the in the tutor to reading lead. So thank you for that. And um, what I'd like to move on to now is, is how have you moved that program online? I watched a couple of the videos and, and read along with that, some of the books <laughs> and the reflections on that. So can you share with us how you've managed to move that program to the current for the current circumstances?
1: Yeah, of course. So, and um, actually, it started back in last March, and we only really had one or two weeks leading, I think, until we knew what was happening with this lockdown situation. And so we thought, right, let's get on with it. So, behind the scenes, before we actually went into lockdown, I thought, how can we make this work remotely? So, one of the things that we did was just build a small team of four or five of us who would sit there and simply read 15 to 20 minute clips of new texts. So we didn't choose texts that we already had in our canon because we didn't want to duplicate what students might already be reading in the class. And we, we didn't know where they'd be up to on those texts and it just wouldn't have worked. So we selected additional text per year group and and we simply read. So for 15 or 20 minutes, uh, we we read Texts and they would be short clips that we then sent out as mini lessons to students to complete at the start of the day. And what came with them were short 10 question, low stakes quizzes that we used to give to the students just to check their understanding while they were remote. And, and not just that, it, it was checking their understanding, but it was also checking their engagement and seeing how much they were involved in that. And, and we were really pleased with the uptake on that. Um, and naturally, you know, everybody will have different backgrounds and experiences in, in home lives and how much they can access things. But, but we were really, really pleased with that. So, so broadly speaking, the remote program works um, so that they, they watch one clip for 15, 20 minutes in the morning and they follow it with, so, so the screen will just show with the bookmark or the ruler and the tutor reads or, or one of us read. They won't have the text at home because just financially it's not really viable and to send them out and all of that, it's, it's not going to work. Um, but yeah, that, that's second best for us at the
0: moment. Well, having that image of the book and the um, ruler mm-hmm. falling down, it's, it simulates exactly what they'd be doing in the classrooms. And I thought that was just beautiful. You spoke about earlier about the simplicity of the program. And I just thought mm. how you've transferred it to online just is a beautiful example of that simplicity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it's one of the ways that I've recommended when primary schools have said to me, How can we make this work? Um, it, it's one of the ways that I've suggested because you could easily in a primary school have a tutor with a visualizer. And the students sitting on the carpet watching um, watching the whiteboard, if they can't financially support buying 30 for that tutor group, they could have the visualiser and students just follow along. So it would look very similar to that. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. That's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Thank you. And um, just a couple more questions. And, and it's been a wonderful exploration in, in digging into the, the programme. Uh, I want to ask you, Josie, why does the tutor reading programme matter? Uh, and should schools consider implementing it themselves?
1: Mm. So, so why does it matter? I suppose I, I come back quite often to our tagline of schools and, and lots of our schools use the same tagline that, that we believe that students have a better chance of success. That's our tagline. We believe students have a better chance of success with us than if they went to any other school and that's what we really want for all of our pupils in our schools. So I suppose it comes back to that and I think we're giving our students a better chance of success using this tutor reading program than if they didn't use it. So it means that they just get this real wealth of vocabulary. And if you compare state school to private or public schools, I mean, I think about um, Eton with Jaffa hall, they've got this debating chamber there that cost them 18 million pounds to build. And I think, Oh my goodness, you know, we're competing against that. And and, and if really we care about these life chances for our pupils, then we've got to give them exposure to great literature, to great vocabulary, you know, a real deep a depth of understanding around some of the comprehension of that. Um, But also an empathy for characters and and a real interest and desire to want to read and know more. So we talked um, a a while back about um, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and whether or not we should give certificates out for reading books or whether we should give stickers and actually the research and i know there's varying different degrees on this and and there's kind of different opinions but for me the desire to read is enough and and they shouldn't want to have a sticker just because they've they've read a book because as soon as you stop giving out stickers they don't want to read um so so for me it it really matters in terms of their desire to want to know more and learn more about the world but also just their breadth of understanding around some of that you know, language acquisition that we can give them. So yeah. So yeah, I massively encourage people to think about this. And, and, and there are always ways to make it work.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. I totally agree like, there's always ways to, to make it work. And if not everyone would want to kind of prioritize it the way that, that you did, but even th- back to the primary example of just the teacher with a book underneath the visualizer, you, you can still implement it without having to buy All the books. So, thank you very much Mm. for that reflection and and example, and why it matters to to the Greenshaw Learning Trust. So, Mm. kind of just to close us off, if a school was is interested in implementing it, what steps should they take to do that with their own tutor, tutor reading program? What advice would you give?
1: Mm. So, number one, you need SLT buy-in. I I think I always believe what the head finds important, the school finds important. If the head doesn't rate this, it's not going to go anywhere. So, you you need to get across the the why. Start with the why. You know, Simon Sinek always says, start with the why. Why are we doing this? So, get SLT buy-in. The second one is around... How are you going to fund it? So, you know, broadly speaking, a class set of texts for us with, with discounts that we've managed to get by working together, getting larger amounts of books for different schools, you know, a, a set of texts for one class can sometimes cost between 100 and 200 pounds. So, think about where are you going to find that funding? Now, the ways that we've managed to find funding for that are one, we've um, We've looked at our our budgets and we said, right, what licenses and what stale programs you know, or or old licenses have we had that we really just aren't using? They can cost a couple of thousand pounds a year. So we've got rid of those kind of things. Uh, Where else can we save money? Well, if we work together, then we can buy double the amount of books for schools and then we rotate them locally. And whether you're part of an academy trust or whether it's just a local agreement with another local school, that can work. Um, we also go out to local businesses and say look would you sponsor us for one one academic year or one cohort's worth of texts and local businesses are often very happy to support you with that and and you can even throw a stamp in the front of the text saying thank you to so and so local business for doing that um, so, so there's lots of different, and just actually quite a few grants and applications you can make to um, to charities. They're really Rotary clubs are very willing to support, um, but also larger um, charities are always willing to support. So, by all means, go out to local people and say, "Can you help us here?" And you also need a tutor reading lead. If you don't have one of these and you don't have a face for the program, you don't have someone who can coordinate the changes or be the passion behind the project. So you you definitely need to look at that. And we've we've tended to do that with um, a TLR for a member of staff and it might be someone who really loves reading. It's not always. And it's actually almost more beneficial if it's not somebody in the English department because you don't want staff to think, oh, this is just an, an English initiative. You want it to be everybody involved. So it, it actually really works to your advantage if it's not someone from the English team, although it often is. Um, think about your canon. Think about what books are important to you and, and um, represent you as your school identity. Are you happy to have swearing in your books? Are you happy to have, um, you know, edgy subjects in there? Are you happy to have, um, you know, difficult ones that students might talk about in the playground? So just think carefully about your choice of texts. And then I suppose lastly, just the, the logistics around the school day. How are you going to make it work with your current school structure and can you, um, can you find a few minutes here and there to make sure that this is going to be really just the, the, the number one priority in that morning?
0: Right, certainly. And if a school does do that and make it a priority and points are reading lead, I'm quite interested in how do you, how do you train the, the tutor, tutor readers? What do, you, what do you do and what steps can you take to make sure that they are confident when they go into the classroom and they're reading through the, through the texts?
1: Yeah, so we we um, usually when we launch this, I will run just a very brief workshop, and it it might just be as simple as playing on the screen and asking them to guess who the famous author, who the famous narrator is. So I've done a task where I've had um, Emma, oh, forgotten Emma Thompson reading um, Peter Rabbit, and I've had Stephen Fry reading um, Sherlock Holmes, and I've had David um, Tennant reading. how to train your dragon and things like that so so just giving them a chance to hear really good narrators and and also just an understanding and showing them a few couple of training videos that we've got whereby it it kind of just suggests that it's okay to read however you want to read um you know you don't have to be a drama teacher to be a good reader you can be whoever you are and and just Also, just a sense of over time, this will become much easier for you. So so don't be anxious about it. But we also say to them in this training program, it's not going anywhere this is a program that we really believe in so if it's something that you're anxious about come and talk to us because we can help you with it um so in that training program we do we we put them in um circles potentially um, if they're in tutor groups then we have them in tutor circles so all of the year 7 tutors get together and all of the year 8 tutors get together you give them one of the texts that they've got on their year group canon and you just simply ask them one at a time to read a couple of paragraphs and walk around the circle so that they um so they get a sense of moving while they're reading but but just kind of find their voice within that so it really really simple simple stuff
0: certainly I seeing that in action with all your te- all the teachers walking around and reading must be wonderful wonderful yeah seeing it what a great use of uh, <laughs> CPD time And um, brings us to the end thank you so much josie for for diving deep into the tutor reading program. Mm. We're going to move on to my my quick fire questions, the questions that I ask every guest that are quite broad, but I love the the various responses that I get from them. But before we do that, can you share with listeners where they can um, find out a little bit more about the program and where they can contact you and, and ask you any questions that they possibly have?
1: Yeah, of course. So we have um, on our GLT Green Shore Learning Trust website. We do have. If you go to the, I think it's the CPD section. We've got the National Inset Day um, sessions on there. So, so one of the first places to look is potentially at the session that I, I delivered for that, because it will give you a bit more in depth and understanding. There'll be some that we've covered on here, but also they'll give you some more ideas and some videos to look at um, for that. But at the end of that session, I've put a very um last slide with um with a link to a google drive and there's plenty of resources on there that anybody can access the training powerpoints the canon the um, master slides that go on this on the screen in the mornings um the um tutor reading uh, job description that kind of thing so, so by all means have a look there but also contact me on Twitter. I'm just Josie Mingay on Twitter. Um, I don't even know what my handle is. I think it's J-A Mingay. And um, yeah, by all means, contact me on there. I'm really pretty rubbish, as Darren will tell you, at direct messages. So um, as soon as you've got my email, I tend to be a lot better, I think, at um, contact. But do contact me. Yeah.
0: Certainly Brian And I encourage people to go and go and watch the video because it really brings to life some of the things we spoke about today. And you showed some images of, of the annotated text and you showed the pictures and videos of people mm. walking around the classroom and it just looks so fantastic. So we're now going to go on to the quickfire round. Josie, three questions that I ask every guest. Um, uh-huh. I'll ask you, whatever comes to your mind from the heart, what do you think? Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, Josie, what makes great teaching for you?
1: Oh, great. I've had the real privilege of jumping into so many classes and so many schools and just seeing things work in different ways. I suppose great teaching for me is someone who is inspiring who has a, just a deep passion for their subject um, but also that that has to be coupled with great teaching has to be coupled with delivering really well you can't just love history and and be a great teacher you have to be able to know how students are going to remember these things so you know you give a good input you model it and you um, ask them to have a go and then you you assess it essentially it, it comes back to the real basics but you know having a real strong subject knowledge a strong desire for students to get that passion um, and an opportunity for them to deliberately practice what you're asking them to do that's great teaching for
0: me. Right thank you so much Uh, question two um, what one thing would you prioritize to bring about great teaching in every classroom?
1: Yeah, again, it just comes back to me. And lots of our Green Learning Trust principles are just simplicity. We think clarity is is bred from simplicity. So following a real standard structure. So we have our teaching and learning principles. There's six of them around behaviour, around quality of instruction, around how to make it stick and get students to remember it, adaptive teaching. Um, I'm missing some of them. I know there's assessment and potentially modelling and um, yeah, and and all of that. So I think those kind of six key principles for me are just crucial to to great teaching and making sure that you've got elements of those within every single lesson.
0: Right. I like how we're keep we can continue coming back to the theme of of keeping it simple and and that clarity to, to
1: always really
0: get get the best. And um, my mm. question then is, if you could change just one thing in education, what would that be?
1: For me, I think it would be to lose the fad culture. So I think Twitter is, is exceptional on many levels for lots of different kind of collaboration and communication things. It's also a real danger of a place where people ride a wave of a new fad or a new, new thing. And, and I always come back to Dylan Williams' um, quote of schools doing too many good things. And I think if we stripped back, back to the simplicity of what we know works, and, and choose to do two or three things really exceptionally well, then then I think that's how you improve education. So so to pull away from the feeling of, oh, we've got to do that because everyone else is doing it, and actually in two years' time you realise it doesn't do anything, um, I'd pull away from that, yeah.
0: Right. What a, what a way to finish the interview, Josie. What a wonderful reflection. It just leaves me to thank you so, so much for giving up so much of your time to, to come on the podcast. It's been a, a great privilege to, to speak with you today.
1: Oh, it's been super. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah,
0: I've loved it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Becoming Educated. As ever, I would be delighted to hear your thoughts and you can contact me via Twitter at Leslie or via email. So that you don't miss out, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast. And while I have your attention, why not submit a review of the podcast wherever you get yours from so that many, many others can access Becoming Educated. I'll be back next week with another episode of Becoming Educated and I do hope to see you there.